coming out the slums, it's the hoodlums and pulling my gat out on all you bums. So bring it hard when you want to come fight this outlaw swinging like Billy Ray Cypress. He'll chill, I'll bust that grill, I'll grab my gat and load up the steel. And if you want to get drastic, I'll pull out my plastic Glock automatic synthetic material. Burial plots in order, headed down to the Mexican border. Smoking that smelly Northern Cali. Gonna put a slug in Captain O'Malley. Ho, hum, here the gap come. When they see what you do, it's a sin to kill a man. But I'll be damned if I don't take a stand. We ain't going out like that. 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 We ain't going out. Oh, oh, hello, friend. I'm sorry you had to hear that. I'm super excited about the special episode that we're bringing to you today. So, you know, just got to the house and I thought I might try to give you sort of a sneak peek into how I psych myself up, you know, to, to get ready to record with Dublin and producer Dave every week. So, you know, I just take a few minutes and I really, I look in the mirror and I center myself and I just use a bit of self-talk like this. My approach within our episodes will be to first understand the technologies of Mr. Robot and to develop jokes in order to understand the humor potential. Because, despite the success of Devlin and Dave in our last Tyrell episode, our podcast currently has 72 undiscussed plot points. Ugh, wait a second, you stupid piece of shit. Again. Our podcast still has 72 undiscussed plot points. Now is not the time to be encumbered by the tragic and shameful loss of our... Ugh, that's too formal, goddammit. Warm up, don't be a cold robot. Again, now is not the time to be encumbered by the loss of our chief technology commentators. We have to be swift in naming a replacement, and listeners, I would like to suggest it be me. For the sake of our podcast, we should make this decision today. My promotion, my internal promotion shows not only my confidence as a podcaster, but also our chutzpah and sassiness to the public. Thank you for your time. God damn it, this isn't right. Don't be a cold capitalist. Again. We have to be swift in acting as an egalitarian team. Listeners, for the sake of our podcast, I would suggest that we organize ourselves non-hierarchically and fairly. Our internal equity shows not only our strength as a team, but allows our individual talents to shine to the public. We'll be a member of this non-hierarchical podcast. I will be a member of this non-hierarchical podcast. I will be a member of this non-hierarchical podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to Mr. Rewatch, your Mr. Robot recap show, brought to you by a stand-up comedian and a depressive hacker. I'm Devlin. And I'm Aaron. How's it going? It's going great. We're testing on our uh, remote recording setup today, and we hope that that goes well. Um, so this is pretty exciting. We're recording a special episode today, and we've done 
a number of special episodes uh, since the end of season three, but I got to tell you, I'm really excited about this and I have had a hard time keeping it to myself for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, we have had some very special episodes so far, but for Mr. Robot fans like us, I think that this one is especially special, so to say. It is especially special. And I wanted to ask you if I, if I could be the one to tell the listeners what's going on. Are you having a, a difficulty keeping it secret? I am having difficulty. <laughs> like I need to just spill it right it. now, I think. Um, so we're really excited. We are bringing you a two-part Tyrell episode. So the first part of this episode, we're going to talk a bit about the character of Tyrell Willick and how he has evolved over the course of the first three seasons. And then in part two, we actually have an interview uh, with the three of us, Team Rewatch and Martin Wallstrom. Tyrell himself. I'm so... He's also like... I got to say, I was pleasantly surprised. I was briefly worried that maybe we were just being catfished by like the nicest. Um, what do you call a catfisher? Like, is that a person who catfishes? Yeah, I guess so. And I can imagine there being some very polite, <laughs> there could be some very polite catfishers out there. But he was very, very respectful, very punctual. This is a great guy to work with. Yeah, I really think he was lovely. Um, and so, and funny as well. So that I think will be, that'll be really great. Um, we're going to release that in just a couple of days. Um, but maybe let's talk a little bit about like, why is Tyrell interesting? You know, he had his own episode in season three. Um, and you know, we're spending two episodes looking at his character. Do you find anything? Actually, let me ask you this first. What was your really initial feeling about the Tyrell Wellick character? Huh, well, I think, um, like there is a very dramatic character arc that takes place over the first season, especially. But if you ask me more specifically about what my first impression was, I didn't really think that Tyrell would be as monstrous as he was from his first introduction. I thought that they were prepping him to be like a smart hacker business type guy, which I guess is kind of how he ended up being. You know, what's funny. I find I often forget that Tyrell is a very skilled hacker. Yeah, that's right. Because they kind of um, undermine that bit of his character with some very uh, brutal actions right after that. I think... It's interesting because uh, initially I kind of pull away from the character. Like, he, you know, he's not, it's not the kind of character I normally think about being really compelling. But as we kind of progress, you know, I think he's, there's so much more to it than initially meets the eye. And I guess that's really a Mr. Robot feature that there's always so much below the surface. Um, so the first time I think we see Tyrell is actually at Elliot's office. Yeah, in the pilot. Right. But that's not his first really significant scene. I don't think that really comes till season one, episode three. That's certainly correct. There's some real um, like character establishing scenes that go on in that episode. That mirror scene is like almost haunting, I think. Um, just that it, that really provoked a strong reaction in me. And then the scene later in the episode where he actually um, where he has um, a homeless person that he pays to, to beat up in alleys. Like I, I have to like look away and fast forward past that part, but I think it's, it's important to the character, right? Yeah. Cause I think that it kind of goes to show you that they are very morally dubious. And I think that that's something that the show does very well. Like there's nobody who is either purely good or purely evil. It's so true. And so uh, I, I'm actually thinking, and you know, tell me if I'm going too far down the rabbit hole, but there is actually, um, and an attack in Toronto earlier this week, 
um, that people are attributing to, um, I was going to say an incel activist, but I don't know if they necessarily think of themselves as activists. Maybe. I don't think that they have that level of thought. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. But what, why this seems relevant to me here, so this is... Um, this is about toxic masculinity. And I think the Tyrell character at first, you know, the way he's presented in season one, it's, you know, he's really constrained to, I think, live his life in a certain way where, you know, the only, the only emotion he has is anger. Um, you know, he has these outbursts. He is, you know, expected to fulfill this role of kind of looking good in public and climbing the corporate ladder. And so I think just maybe given current events, I'm thinking about characters like this a little more. And, you know, is it is it important for these characters to be present in this story? Because certainly they're they're present in this in this world, right? In the tech sector. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that Tyrell, he first is established as a character who comes from a lot of privilege and they're obviously very wealthy, very successful. And um, when you relate the privilege that they have to also the effects of um, like toxic masculinity, like you said, I think that's an interesting contrast because it led both to his um, his success and then also to his downfall. Exactly. Um, what else do I want to talk about about Tyrell? So we get the mirror scene and then he, he's just so disturbing to me in season one. I think we had a really uncomfortable conversation about Joanna and the sort of <laughs> bedroom scenes. <laughs> Oh yeah, because um, I, like we don't mention this very often, but Aaron and I are brother and sister, so it is just incredibly awkward to talk about those whenever they come up. Yeah, like, do you remember ever watching movies when we were like a kid, and like you know your parent like fast forwards the scene? <laughs> yeah, that was like half of the movie most of the time. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like I want to do that for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what were you going to say about uh, Tyrell and Joanna? Uh, I was going to say that the power dynamic isn't what we initially think it is. No, and this, um, I, I wanted to mention this earlier, but one thing I really appreciate about the Tyrell character is that it seems to have some um, Macbeth influences, and Joanna really seems to be the one who's kind of um, pushing Tyrell along this path. Like, I would, I would spend good money to see her in a production of Macbeth. Actually, and in a way, this is a bit of a production of Macbeth when you think about it. <laughs> yeah, true. Maybe this is the one I got for free. <laughs> um, the other scene I think that that really upsets me is that scene in the Iron Mountain cafeteria. Do you remember the one? Is this the one where he's um, demeaning the waiter? Yes. Where does that come from? I mean, I think it's that this character is obsessed with status um, and obsessed with hierarchy. Yeah. And if you remember in the scene just prior to this one, Elliot had um, kind of disparaged Tyrell himself by saying that he was going to eat in the cafeteria instead of in the private lounge. So maybe Tyrell was like acutely status threatened at that time. So yeah, that scene where he picks on the waiter is terrible. And I think his, um, but his fortunes really seem to shift. Um, did you ever watch The Wire? I watched the first season, but I think that's like an anthology, right? Where they're not all exactly related. Exactly. But there's one line in it um, where Omar says, um, wait, if you come at the king, you best not miss. What do you relate that to? Well, so this, I think about the murder of Sharon Knowles and where he kind of tries to take his shot at becoming CTO. So, you know, he, he comes for the top spot. You know, he does extreme terrible things to get there, but he does miss. And of course, I think the implication of that quote is there's consequences um, if you try to get that top spot, but you're not successful. Exactly. 
I wonder, though, do you think that that was Tyrell's plan from the beginning? We might be going down a rabbit hole here. To kill her? Yeah. I don't think so. Do you think so? I didn't think so either, but that gives us a little bit more to talk about, which is his impulsive behavior. Oh, yeah. Um, Why don't you say a little bit about that? Well, I could say that we, over the course of this show, have coined the verb Tyrelling for when you start chugging a bottle of vodka and your wife does not really seem to care that much. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, or I think when you just when you lose your composure totally, you're also Tyrelling. <laughs> so yeah, he was fired in the episode following that, and that is really like um, it. It seems like it's rock bottom for Tyrell. Maybe we'll find out that's not really the case, but it's definitely not looking good for him at that point. I think that moment, the firing, is really significant because, I mean, how much of his identity is tied up in his wealth and status? And now that's all been stripped away. And he's going to have to tell Joanna that. And she's already, like, not that happy with him. Like, right after the birth of the baby, like, I don't actually even really understand fully what happens there um, where, you know, she's kind of pushing him out the door um, and he's outlived his usefulness to her. So he's really, like, unanchored at that point. And I think unanchored, desperate people do some pretty desperate things. Uh-huh. And you were saying that um, Tyrell's being fired would have a massive impact on his identity. What I was thinking at the time was that it would have a massive impact on his character arc because everything they have been doing so far is about moving him toward this position. And then you find out that's not going to happen after all. I know. Like, are, Were you surprised when it didn't happen? Yeah, I, I thought that he would be the CTO at the end of the season, like Frank Underwood. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like Frank Underwood. And then Joanna would also try to become the CEO because that show <laughs> jumped the shark. Um, uh, I had kind of thought about too, I think Tyrell, I mean, because of the expectations on him, I think he's always supposed to be seen to be leading. But really, I think Joanna calls all the shots and really is is driving the bus. That's two cliches in one sentence. There you go. <laughs> Two for one. And so I think after her death, you know, I almost wonder, like, do you think that the Dark Army takes over that kind of caretaker role for him? I don't know. Like, like we always say, it's really hard to predict the future, but it it probably does go to show you what role that Tyro had in season two, that there wasn't really that much to talk about there. (laughs) Um, Because Joanna died in like season three, the beginning. That's right. Because in season two, is he really only in that scene where he calls Elliot? Yeah, because most of the season, we wonder if he's dead or not. Oh, yeah, that's right. We say things like, we haven't seen Tyrell or the Wellicks for some time. (laughs) (laughs) That scene, um, I I think we kind of progressively see this character get broken down further and further. Like um, when Wallace Shawn is interrogating him at the safe house with the kettle in the background. Oh, that was that guy's name? Yeah, Wallace Shawn. Yeah, he's a very, he's a character actor. Um, that I know from BoJack Horseman. Oh, is that the name of the actor? Yes. I thought that was the name of the character. Never mind. <laughs> oh, I couldn't tell you the name of the character, to be honest. Yeah, that's why I was so surprised that you knew. <laughs> well, I mean, I I do know a lot of things. <laughs> um, so you think that he's broken by the interrogation, but then he does make a break for it. So when Tyrell kind of packs up his stuff, so remember, he's at the safe house, Irving's kind of like handling him, you know, but he's really concerned that he can't see the baby on the baby monitor. He wants to see his family. I think when Tyrell runs away um, in defiance of what, you know, Irving has told him, to me, I was like, that's the most 
like independent thing that character has maybe ever done. Is this like the Cypress Hill running away? Yeah. Yeah, but definitely. And I think that it kind of goes to show you how divergent he was from his ordinary persona at that time because of the beard that he grew, which I think was supposed to like. Which you think what? I was saying that the beard that he grew was symbolic. Oh, yeah, I think it is, too, because I can't imagine him ever voluntarily growing one. Like, it just seems too relaxed. <laughs> um, I remember that he uh, had a calm, fancy, wet shave in advance of meeting Elliot again after that also. And I mean, that's one thing that's really interesting, too, is that dedication and loyalty to Elliot. What do you think that's I, about? It's so open-ended right now. You know, I was just going to ask you the very same question where I don't understand like the depths of it or the significance of it to Tyrell. And I don't think we will fully understand that till, well, I hope season four. Me too. It doesn't seem like it's reciprocal at all. It seems more like Tyrell picked up this mad obsession with Elliot the first time he met him. It is almost obsessive, isn't it? I think so. And also, um, there is one character relationship with Tyrell that we haven't seen before, but it's briefly mentioned. And it's the one that he has with his father which I think probably also is a, a big motivator behind his actions. Oh, isn't that interesting? Because I think, and in particular, I remember that scene. Are they at the amusement park? It's him and Elliot, and they're talking about the red wheelbarrow poem. Yeah, in the rain. Yeah, in the rain. And it, it's raining in the poem. And he talks about, I think, how he just never wanted to be anything like his father. I wonder so much what that means. Well, and so I'm so curious, because what kind of man was his father that... You know, he uses this poem as a reminder to become a different kind of man. So because I'm not sure if he was a bad man or if he was sort of a man that Tyrell thought was weak or just not successful. Like, I'm really interested in knowing that. And I don't know if we'll get that satisfaction, but I'm, I'm curious about that, too. I think it wouldn't be an episode of Mr. Rewatch if I didn't get like a Hari Kondabolu reference in. <laughs> What's this one? I'm just... <laughs> I swear I'll stop doing Well, eventually I'll run out of material. We so, don't mind. You know, um, so my favorite joke is, it's a joke about chess. And the comedian kind of, the premise is, you know, when we're playing chess, we all assume that we're the king, right? That we're playing to support our own empire and to support our own interests. But really, like we're pawns. You know, if we die, like there isn't the impact on, yeah. you know, the global order that there is when some of the bigger pieces die. And so I love in this joke because he talks about this point where he's like, he sets up a game and he's like, you know what I did? I moved the pawn out of the way. I moved the king to the front. <laughs> like this time the king's going to lose. <laughs> and I think with Tyrell, I think it's the same phenomenon where I think he thinks that he is or he can be the king. But he actually is a pawn. I thought that there's also some interesting symbolism in the black and white take on things that Jess has, of course. So, I mean, we've talked now for a little while about kind of what we think about um, the character, where he's been and where he's going. And I think one of the really exciting things about part two of this episode is that we're going to hear some of that from Martin Wallstrom's perspective, but we're also going to learn a little bit more about him. Uh, and so we said at the beginning, he is just a wonderful guy and we were so lucky uh, to chat with him and so I really hope that everyone will uh, download uh, part two of this um, and uh, you know learn a little bit more about the actor behind the role. Yeah, there's a lot about Martin, a lot about Tyrell, a lot about hockey. A lot? A surprising amount about hockey. <laughs> more hockey than I expected with that question. 
I also talk about uh, candy, which is one of my favorite things. So it's a very good episode. <laughs> um, so that brings us to the end. Thank you so much for listening to Mr. Rewatch. We recorded this episode today between Toronto, Hamilton, and Stratford, Ontario. If you enjoyed today's episode, Martin Wallstrom would suggest that you consider donating to UNICEF and you can contribute to them at supportunicef.org to make a donation. I'm Aaron. I'm Devlin. Bonsoir.